And Trek just <laughs> continually sets that theme. It'll just be like, if you're kind of acclimated to it, it's like, this is fine. And then if you like switch off your brain a second and like reset, you're like, this is the most horrifying concept I've ever heard. And we're just dealing with this. This is just the kind of shit they can run into in, disp- in, in space. Um, yeah. You know, you get your balance of horrors beyond imagination and finding Amelia Earhart in the Delta Quadrant. They did find Amelia Earhart in space. I love that episode. I know it is the silliest thing in the world, but I think it is so incredibly funny that, like, well, we have a female spaceship captain. You know who she would be really fun to run into? Amelia Earhart. Amelia Earhart. That would be fun. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic (laughs) Podcast. I am your host, Red. This week... This this biweekly, not the other biweekly. Mm. This biweekly, we are not joined by Blue. No, Where I am not Blue. No, he's <laughs> somewhere else. He's far Ooh. away, and that leaves us with the run of the place in a girls' night. Can girls you tell? Night. I normally get to riff off of Blue when he does the sort of scripted casual. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome back. Intro. Uh, so I just get to sort of lean back and be cool and bad boyish. But now I have to take the lead. Which is, <laughs> oh, so stressful, so scary. Yeah, uh, hi, I'm Indigo. Usually I'm only in the other half of the episode. But today, because there's no blue, I'm just, I'm going to be here talking about things. Things like our sponsor for today's episode, <laughs> World Anvil. There it is, there it is. Uh, they are bringing you an exciting installment of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. If you don't know, World Anvil is a browser-based writing and world-building software designed to help you, the creator, write and world-build, all while keeping your work organized and in one place. They've got over 25 article templates, interactive maps, custom timelines, fully adaptable wikis, and so much more to help you organize the world you've been building in your mind and take it from your mind to the page. You can even use Chronicles to combine the capabilities of timelines and maps to plot events across time and space. Once your world is sorted exactly how you like, you're ready to write. With a powerful built-in word processor, World Anvil allows you to keep your notes in the same place as your prose so you can focus on putting the story you see in your mind on the page. Interested? Of course you are. Of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) And it only gets better because for our listeners, World Anvil is offering a special discount. Just use code Overly Sarcastic for up to 40% off any master or grandmaster membership. Thank you again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. And take that, Blue. We can all do ad reads now. (laughs) (laughs) One take, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we don't sass. We we, we talk for a living. We know how much we we fuck up on an average. I've heard everyone's outros, including my own. It's okay. Um, yeah, but Blue did leave me with uh, a quick note about his video. Obviously, I did not make the Babylonian ziggurat, or not Babylonian ziggurat, just the ziggurat uh, video. It wasn't in Babylon, but, you know. I did not make the video, and I do not know. <laughs> I watched it. I've seen, I've seen the content. Done the uh, homework. I just didn't sort of. write the lesson plan. <laughs> but uh, Blue gave me a little note here that I'm going to read out for the audience, and then we are going to move on to red stuff, because... That's who's here to talk about it. (laughs) Uh, But Blue wants you guys to know that he's really happy with how the video turned out since he'd wanted to do the Babylon video for years and years. That and the ziggurat from earlier in the month is a really satisfying one-two punch to have accomplished. That's basically it. Uh, So exciting. Woo! Go Blue! (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> enjoy oh, your man. trip. <laughs> we really did like the the triple whammy on Mesopotamia that month, and oh, yeah. it's so fun. We never coordinate these things, but then it was like, I'll do Gilgamesh. Oh, I'll do Fall of Babylon. <laughs> Ooh, while I'm writing the Fall of Babylon, I'm going to talk about the Ziggurat of Babylon, which yeah. is really fun. actually I think it's interesting because you guys have like such different work schedules. Like you kind of do a <laughs> bunch of videos all at once, and then whatever is done at any time is like what's done at that time. And then Blue is very much like I do one video every two weeks, and I spend the whole two weeks doing that one video and it results yeah. in a very different like kind of work schedule so it is fun whenever you guys do line up on something and it's like oh wait we could do we could do we could do babylon it could be babylon <laughs> yeah it's funny because like that was the pacing that really worked because i'd obviously been working on gilgamesh for quite some mm -hmm. time and then blue was like oh yeah i was already planning on doing some like mesopotamian like architecture stuff about the ziggurat oh <gasps> he's here <laughs> and he's here noisy <laughs> oh my god he's so chatty say hi again yeah, now well, you're now just the girls' Zen, night though. is nearly complete. Yeah, <laughs> only now we've we get got... Cyan and Cleo on the horn. Um, uh, but yes, uh, so I'd, I'd been working on Gilgamesh for quite some time, and then Blue was like, "Yeah, just let me know what week that's going up. I'll make my video before that." This, and then while I was working on that, he was like, "Oh yeah, I can also actually make a like a specific video about this. Yeah, let's do that." Um, oh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but the opposite does not quite work, uh, because he was recently <laughs> working on a, a thing about Rome, and it's fucking shocker, right? It's so out of character, and he messaged who'd me like... Got, who'd have thought? Yeah, and he was like, hey, you know, it could be fun to do the myth of Romulus and Remus. Like, you know, it's it's a classic, it's a staple, um, it's the founding myth of Rome, kind of, you know, the, the one that isn't in the Aeneid, and I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. I cannot get it done in time. And he was like, no, 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 of course not. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I've just added it to the list of plates spinning. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for that in six to 12 months. <laughs> well, you did have a video that is out and available right yeah, now. Yeah, the video Unreliable really Unreliable narrators. Uh -huh. Tell us about it. Yeah. In your uh, most, uh, you know, reliable tone of voice. Oh, yeah, you can trust me completely to 100% be accurate in my... This one was a weird one. I honestly wasn't sure if I was going to make it work as a video because the first, like, third of it, there's a lot of book screenshots <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like it's a little bit hard to talk about a form of storytelling that is by its nature non-visual and how much of that form of storytelling is like adjusted to account for that that like okay if you can't just see what's happening you have to rely on the narrator to describe what what's going on and then you mm -hmm. envision it in your mind's eye if that's how your brain works um so I was kind of like, oh, man, I could draw like a little funny thing here. But if I draw it, I have to make choices as the artist that are not reflected in the story. And thankfully, a lot of people were mostly just like, oh, cool. You used Harrow the Ninth as your example of second person narration. That's nifty. And I was like, yes, I did. I'm glad you paused and read it. I'm glad I also <laughs> didn't pick the much more spoilery page I was initially considering using for Harrow the Ninth. Um, but... Yeah, so, so there was kind of this tipping point when I was writing the script of like, oh, thank God, there's unreliable narration even in stories that don't have a narrator character that's telling mm -hmm. the story. Thankfully, I can just... Uh... But then I ran into my second hurdle, which, uh, Indigo, you might appreciate, because the problem I ran into is there are a lot of these really well-known movies that have unreliable narrators. You know, Fight Club, Joker, stuff like that. Movies that I desperately did not want to watch for this. Yes. <laughs> so I was really lucky that when I, as I was writing it up, I was like, oh, thank goodness, I can find enough examples for this that don't require me <laughs> to sit down and watch fucking Fight Club. <laughs> I feel like you kind of get unreliable narrators in like movies and TV, especially in like the two versions of it are the Fight Clubs and the Jokers of the World, where it's like, mm -hmm. this is a damaged man and we only see the world from his <laughs> cracked perspective. Or yeah. like, 
this is a very light-hearted, often comedic situation, and we're going to use the unreliable narrator to sort of, you know, highlight some of the whimsy of the world and whatnot. And it's only those two extremes that are, like, the immediate things that come to mind. Like, the, yeah. uh, for me, the thing that comes to mind for unreliable narrator is Bridgerton has a built-in narrator, the Lady Whistledown, um, who is not a re- is later in season two revealed to be a specific character in the show, but if up and until that point, kind of just is like this voice that occasionally brings you from scene to scene and describes the events of high society and whatnot. <laughs> uh, and you know, when you learn that it's a character later on, it is sort of this reveal of like, oh, could we have it? Like, it has this really just been an objective relaying of the events of high society or is this character's relationship to other characters on the show and their family maybe coloring the way that they're representing the society they live in whoa they've been unreliable this whole time that's crazy uh but yeah until that character's revealed there isn't like a visual representation Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can really land on too much no um I always love it, though, when there's the reveal of, like, the narrator voice is actually a character because mm-hmm. it's... Uh, I, I have not yet seen Good Omen Season 2. I do want to, but I do remember that there was a little bit of that because the first episode starts with this narration from this feminine voice, and then, like, three episodes later in the cold open, we see uh, Aziraphale uh, handing off his flaming sword to Adam and Eve and kind of shooing them off, and then uh, the, the narrator voice comes back, and, oh, it's the voice of God. It has been the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was really cute. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, because oftentimes, you know, the narrator voice, it's just kind of implied to exist. Like, a lot of people love the narration Mm -hmm. voice in Discworld because it's so uniquely, like, it, it, it hits this comedic tone a lot of the time, but it also can be really poetic and meaningful and impactful, uh, which is why I liked using Reaper Man as an example, because a lot of the death books are very good at sort of oscillating between this funny skeleton man figuring out humanity and... Oh, he's unfolding like the Wrath of Kings? I know exactly (laughs) what that looks like somehow. Like that kind of thing. It's just really Mm -hmm. cool. Um, But it's always so fun when you're getting just the narration and then you get the little hints of personality where you're like, wait, there's a guy there. (laughs) There's a person. Oh, boy. It's a little sneak surprise narrator, narrator, Mm -hmm. you know, ego going. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I I had that moment when I was like, how the fuck am I going to thumbnail this? And I was like, wait, llama. Llama. (laughs) got it. Maybe, like, the most iconic, unreliable narrator. in the- <laughs> Right? I mean, that movie is so fascinating to me because it just doesn't make any sense. It breaks all the rules. Nothing is how it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But then, like, you look at that from that perspective and you're like, how fascinating is it that the character is narrating his own life and then at one point talks to his own narrator self and tells him to knock it off and then the movie is no longer narrated from that point forward. <laughs> it's like on a similar level of like Mulan no longer being a musical after a girl worth fighting for, but mm-hmm. like much more baffling. Um, <laughs> when I first saw the thumbnail for Unreliable Narrator, I hadn't really been paying too much attention about which video was coming out when, because usually I just sort of find out right before we do the podcast or I'll like mm-hmm. watch them when they come out. But uh, I thought it was um, the the dog from Full Metal Alchemist. And then I saw what it <laughs> oh, I was like. Because I just briefly, corner of my eye, I'm like, oh, oh that's no, sad. So What's, what, is the, what is this trope talk possibly about? Is it like, you know, like tragic choices? or, or quadrupeds like, in the rain. <laughs> and then I looked closer and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This is actually incredibly comedic. Oh, I, it was me. I was, I, was, I was the wrong person all along. I was the unreliable narrator to myself. Yes, yes. Oh, ho, 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 ho. so many jokes could be made about this. Or rather, just one joke made several times. Several times. <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it was it was fun. It was definitely one of the ones where when I started writing my notes for it, I didn't know if I had something. And then as time went on, I was like, no, no, there's mm-hmm. there's something really interesting here. And I feel like with every trope, I have the point where I go, 
Well, really, there's no hard line around this trope, and from a certain point of view, every story has this trope. And then there's the point where I go, this trope is bad if you do it too much, and pretty good if you do it not too much. And then I'm mm -hmm. like, I've done it. Analysis <laughs> is solved forever. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, the, my, yeah. well, oh, just no, the recognition that every uh, narrator is unreliable is kind of helpful because I think it's, mm -hmm. like, it's just one of those fundamental truths of storytelling. But if you're not paying attention to it, you know, if you're not on purpose writing the narrator as a character, the narrator can feel inconsistent. Um, and <laughs> I always run into this problem when I'm trying to find examples for a trope talk. I always hit the point where I'm like, ugh, I need a good bad example, but I don't willingly subject myself to bad stories a lot of the time. And, because it's a harder to do bad movie nights on Twitter now that Twitter's more perpetually on fire. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was just like, I just don't know what to do. And then I was like, like bolt upright in bed, Heinlein, I forgot about Heinlein. <laughs> so I can just go back and be like, oh yeah, this is the most insufferable narrator voice I've ever heard. Let's do it. Um, Yep, oh, I get a little Starship Troopers in there that people love. I don't even know if that one counts as narration necessarily, but it's that warped perspective. Yeah, well, the the narrative voice in the prose is just so blatantly, like, you can hear the moment where Heinlein takes the microphone out of his character's hands and holds it up and is like, as I was saying, gay people are weird. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Heinlein. So cool. Um but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a really fun video. I had a good time uh, putting it together, and I'm glad people liked it so much. Uh, although, <laughs> it's okay. You can keep making the one joke. I don't mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I check the comments for like the first six hours, and then after that, it's like, ah, whatever's going on in there. I just, who knows? You just sort of learn what you need to learn. I can't yeah. get over Ziggy's. No, don't bite that microphone. <laughs> this is. Uh, I think I've mentioned this in other places before, but I think I've inadvertently taught my cat to um. She's been Pavlovianly trained that when I start using podcast voice, she can get attention. So hmm. we started recording. She jumped up. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it's, no, a, the, it's a good way to know that, joke. oh, she's going to be sitting there for a while, not moving. And if mm -hmm. I get all up on there, there's not much she can do. Okay. Yeah, she get a bunch of cat hair up her nose. It's going to be great. Um, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, normally we'd uh, fill a bunch more time with... Uh, what Blue's video was, and maybe mm -hmm. a little fun banter, possibly a plug for Lucky Brand Jeans, of which I recently acquired some more pairs, and they're just oh as comfortable boy. as I remember. We're um, not sponsored by them. We're actually we're distinctly <laughs> sponsored by a completely different company that sells yes. a very different product. Check Thank out you to World, World Anvil. Anvil for sponsoring today's episode. <laughs> but also, consider wearing pants sometimes. Uh, but there is another thing that we do sometimes. Uh, and oh, it yeah. also goes up on Fridays now, so... It's yeah, funny because I'll be like, what the hell's going on with the video? And then I'll be like, oh, shit, what the hell's going on with the Rolling with Difficulty <laughs> Discord title drop? Um, <laughs> yeah, we're both on a D&D &D actual play podcast called Rolling with Difficulty. Rolling with difficulty. Uh, it's a great time. It's like a Planescape spell jammer mashup, which basically means we're doing like totally not space adventures in what is totally not space, but is definitely mm -hmm. flavored to be a lot like space. And uh going and exploring the many weird pieces of lore D&D &D has to offer and making emotional character choices every turn of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I would love our, like, joke to serious moment ratio, if that makes sense. Like, I wish Ooh, there was a way yeah. to know exactly by volume how much of this podcast is comedy and how much of it is, like, noir sad monologues, uh, which is a, a go-to for... <laughs> I think you should not propose that idea to Noir because knowing him, he will absolutely <laughs> listen through it and like take timestamp notes. Oh boy. When he should be doing other things like 100%ing <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom or his job. 
Uh, I love our castmates, but uh, yeah, no, I've been Red and fucking I both... trying to hundred percent Tears of the Kingdom, and I'm not even at sixty percent <laughs> yet. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> uh, having a lot of time, but uh, mm. yeah, no, we're both players on that. It's a good time. Uh, we're the the girly pop team of, <laughs> of the show. <laughs> for girls' night, yeah, we're we're the girls' night of the show. Um, but yeah, if you uh, haven't. Uh, heard of this uh it's Mm -hmm. in its fourth season right now uh we've got a backlog of i think three seasons 10 episodes each so and uh it's edited unlike a lot of actual plays so you can listen to it without hearing (laughs) full minutes of dice rolling or plans that we don't do uh unless they're funny so yeah i edit those episodes uh it's a lot of fun i try to leave in the play part of the actual play as much as possible so you might get some you know debates on what to or not to do uh if it is appropriately dramatic but generally it's not going to try and cut out that like dead air and dice rolls and if people are quibbling over a ruling and it's not going to come up later like oh they'll take that out you don't need to hear all the behind the scenes nonsense um it's a lot of fun austin is pretty good at being like all right if you guys keep making plans in the theater of the mind i'm going to start having bad things happen and it's like okay okay (laughs) i've played a lot of home games with austin as well and if there's one thing that guy likes it's a timer (laughs) (laughs) the the fact that we play over discord is the only thing that prevents him from whipping out the full like hourglass with sand in it on us any given moment uh i have like three now I'm not trying to, I can't imagine trying to sync up a bunch of like hourglasses over like a Discord <laughs> call being like, okay, everyone flip on like three. That feels <laughs> that's, like a that's, joke. Like, a for disaster. From, like, like something like Asterix that's blatantly historical, but makes a lot of like non-historical references. You're like, all right, gentlemen, synchronize your hourglasses and they all flip them at the same time. <laughs> it's like, all right, let the heist begin. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, no, if it was Asterix, it would be like, synchronize your sundials. <laughs> it's like, What? <laughs> Ah, we do do a lot of heists on the show. We get our, mm. our fair share of yeah, there's like three or four heisting of adventures. It's like one a season at this point. Maybe, yeah. maybe a little bit more. Sometimes mm. we do mini heists. So if you like heists, mm. do a lot of heists. We do a lot of street races. It's so funny to be fair share of getting kidnapped. It's it's well yeah well some of us have more of a. a um, monopoly of that than others but it's just it's so funny to me how initially we were like yeah it's gonna be like episodic you know thread of the week we're a bunch of like morally gray it's like firefly cowboy bebop mm-hmm. and then instead uh we were like hey let's be good guys let's do like good guy things with overarching plot lines and backstories and it's like well shit that is unfortunately an easier way to tell stories than making everything completely self-contained week after week i think we've sort of settled into like a happy medium because the original when i pitched the show to austin initially it was a like tv like detective procedural uh Mm. style game and then he's like well what if we did this planescape thing instead and i was like this is why i came to you with it before i bothered casting anything because i feel like this is this is the thing that i would never have thought of um and i was like hey i really want to keep it episodic because the show is one of the many infinite dnd actual plays out there we need something that makes us different uh, or at least different enough to like tell an interesting story and yeah. save some space for ourselves in this often you know quite crowded medium and it's not a bad thing that there's so many shows i think it's great that especially there's a lot of like smaller shows that get to tell their own specific story but it yeah. does make it harder for like people to find the podcast if it doesn't have its own kind of like gimmick so the episodic thing was that um and i think what we've settled on is like one adventure an episode right so like we're gonna Mm -hmm. do something it might be part of a bigger plot over the course of a season or two but it is going to be like 
today we are going to do a train heist in hell and that's yeah. the whole episode or like we're going to go to a fancy party and that's the whole episode and <laughs> so really it does make like... it feel a little bit still episodic even if it isn't remember technically you could not jump into any episode as described in the trailer initially mm. But, yeah, starting from that as the core premise was kind of like, well, the pacing is locked. Like, mm-hmm. we are, uh, again, this is like, we we like a lot of other D&D podcasts, oh, but yeah. it's definitely a case where it's like, you know, you enjoy a thing, but you also learn from it, and it, it makes a decision. You might be mm-hmm. like, what I create, I don't think I want to do that part. Um, so, of course, the big name in the field is Critical Role. <laughs> very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Whole episodes that are shopping trips where nothing happens. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why I watched Legend of Vox Machina and enjoyed it thoroughly and have not been able to get past like episode 28 of campaign mm-hmm. one trying to listen through it linearly. I just yeah. don't have that kind of time and my brain cannot stay focused for that long. Um, so I think when, when, when we were sort of looking at this concept, it was like, yeah, I think if we do a D&D podcast, we don't want it to be 100 episodes long. And I think we want it to be a little more tightly edited. And I think mm-hmm. we want to make sure that if you go into an episode like... At least one thing is going to happen per episode. That's kind of the um, pacing policy yeah. I use when I uh, when I storyboard comic pages. I'm like, one thing needs to happen per page. Even if that's a splash panel of a giant monster getting stabbed a little bit, fine. That's a thing happening. But, like, a, the plot needs to progress. New information needs to be mm-hmm. revealed. Something has to happen. Um, yeah. And it's not just so that people have something to talk about when they flood my Tumblr inbox about it uh, for the <laughs> following three days. But, like... It's just a good kind of pacing principles. Like each unit of the story, each self-contained thing that the person is choosing to click through, should give them something, you know. So, yes. But this does explain why our immediate next idea for like, what do we do after the Parasparo is like, what if we're just <laughs> detectives? What if we do some detective stuff? I mean, That'd it takes fun. very little to be like, oh, Sophia, you want to do detective stuff? Like, yes, constantly at all times. <laughs> There was a joke oh. about, like, well, what if we just played the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I'm like, yes, I would love that. I don't. <laughs> I, 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 it's not like producer brain. This is just fully Sophia saying, like, no, I want to do that. <laughs> I would love it, though, if we were all detectives from completely different genres. So it's yes. like you've got the, you've got the, the Dick Gumshoe noir guy uh, or, or Tracer Bullet, the Calvin and Hobbes noir guy. And then you've got Miss Marple and then you've got mm-hmm. Columbo. And then somewhere out there, you've got Sherlock Holmes just being dapper and genius. And... Uh, Everyone is solving crimes, but none of them are doing it the same way. <laughs> oh, I just think it would be fun. But that's a that's, yeah, a, that's a concern that's for, for the far future. Later. Yeah, yes. for now we're doing this season of the Parasporo. We're doing another season of the Parasporo. Mm-hmm. The adventure continues. Um, I like that we have kept it like pretty limited in the amount of episodes we do too. Uh, mm. I, I would say our structure is closer to Dimension Twenty, but a little yeah. bit like it's somewhere in the middle between like the critical role and the Dimension Twenty schools of thoughts of like we're not quite as like structured story is dimension 20 of like one season mm. and the story is done but we're not doing shopping episodes either um so it <laughs> all is all of our love to critical role <laughs> all like fantastic performers they tell yeah. really brilliant stories that i think work with the style of storytelling that they do very long form lots yeah. of lingering threads would not work for the show that we wanted to put on that's just yeah. how that goes sometimes um, but the thing about Dimension 20 uh, is that it's kind of got like it's got like the 20 episode series like on Sleeping City and then mm-hmm. it's got uh, like the six episode mini series like Blood Keep that tend to be a lot more tightly paced, um, which is honestly, I think that would stress me out so much. <laughs> like I'm not even yeah. the DM, but oh boy, like Brennan Lee Mulligan is a DM seems really 
really invested in giving all of his players complete and satisfying character arcs, whatever that means for the player and character, which is often something mm-hmm. the player and character doesn't know at the beginning. So I've seen him just like fully on the fly be like, all right, Bloodkeep was supposed to be PvP, but unfortunately everyone bonded over workplace <laughs> aggravations in the first episode and none of them are ever going to fight each other. So I guess the power of friendship is how this is going to end <laughs> now, um, which is incredibly impressive, but like, there's like a scale of DMing where on the one hand it's like these are my plans and if you if the players run up against them in a way that doesn't work mm. for them sucks to be them I gave them plenty of warning and then there's complete improv like oh you guys want to do this instead great let me throw out all of my notes we're going to get through this together and Brennan mm. is firmly on that end of the spectrum and that scares me so much <laughs> oh. Yeah uh, but it's speaking so of um things that scare us it's about the end of this section so do we have any announcements or should we move on to the q a um i think we're good to move on i don't think yeah we we just finished uh selling pins uh the gilgamesh and enkidu pin pack and the taurus constellation pin are no longer available but they will be back for black friday at the end of the year along with a bunch of other stuff, so Ooh. stay tuned. Um, but yeah, I, th- I don't think we have anything else, so let's do some Q&As. Hell yeah. Today's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast is brought to you by World Anvil. World Anvil is a browser-based writing and world-building software designed to help you, the creator, write and world-build, all while keeping your work organized and in one place. With over 25 article templates, interactive maps, custom timelines, and fully adaptable wikis, World Anvil has all the tools you need to organize the world you've been building in your mind and put on the page. That's thanks to features like Chronicles, which combine the beautiful organizational power of timelines and maps to plot out events across time and space. Once your world is sorted exactly how you like, you're ready to write. With a powerful built-in word processor, World Anvil lets you keep your notes in the same place as your prose, so you can focus squarely on turning your crafty ideas into fancy flowering text. Interested? Of course you are! And it only gets better because World Anvil is offering a special discount for all you lovely listeners. Just use code OVERLYSARCASTIC for up to 40% off any yearly membership. Thank you again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from SpeedRacerFan1701. <laughs> Has Red finished TNG, Star Trek The Next Generation, and what Trek is she watching next? I know that Blue does not watch Star Trek, but I have seen all of it, and you've been watching a bunch, so I thought maybe this is the appropriate episode to to bring this question up. This is yeah, this is a really good one. Um, so I haven't watched through TNG linearly. Um, mm-hmm. well, I have. I got through like the first four and a chunk seasons that way. Um, and then I sort of petered out around when it started getting really good because I stopped being able to use it as background noise. Um. But then, fortuitously, it was airing uh, on Pluto TV. They just have, like, a couple Star Trek channels where they sort of swap things out, which is great. It's completely free. It doesn't even make you log in so it can scrape your data. I have no idea how they function. That's how I watch Jeopardy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They also have an all-Mystery Science Theater 3000 channel, which is great. And they've been advertising some new Godzilla thing that I might... Anyway, sorry. Fucking Lucky Brand Jeans, World Anvil, and Pluto TV. (laughs) The three things I'm shilling for this week. Um... But so I've basically seen a sporadic sprinkling of uh, later Trek, uh, later mm-hmm. TNG. Um, so I've watched I've watched all of the bad seasons. I've watched the <laughs> post growing the beard stuff. I got up for yesterday's Enterprise and the Offspring and you know the other like really good sort of sh- surprisingly like wait we were doing like dumb shit like 
five minutes ago, and now Data's made a child, and the child is dead. Okay. Um, but there are a lot of iconic TNG episodes that I've only seen bits and pieces of. Um, the stuff where they deal with the Borg, obviously that's kind of hugely important, but I've only mm -hmm. seen bits of it. Um, there's that one episode, everyone referenced this when I did the Gilgamesh thing, because of course there's this episode where Picard ends up dealing with this alien race where the translators can't compensate because basically the way they talk is just in references. So it's just like, you know, Shaka when the walls fell, that's what the thing. So, and uh, so he, Picard gets stuck in the situation with this guy and they can't communicate with each other until Picard figures that out. And he ends up telling him the story of Gilgamesh and Enkidu, who, like, fight and then become friends. Uh, and then, so it's like, oh, see, it's like it's like us. So just people quoting that all through the mm -hmm. comments. Again, one <laughs> joke, but that's okay. Um, yes. So I haven't seen that episode, but again, I know what happens in it. Um, so I do kind of want to continue my research with TNG, as it were. Mm -hmm. But I've kind of come to this conclusion. I feel like Star Trek is really best experienced in disconnected chunks, because yeah. that way... You, you don't see the holes as much. <laughs> I, I don't think there's such a thing as a good Star Trek. <laughs> I think there's a lot of really good things in Star Trek. But there's dumb shit. We all know this. People have people been making fun of Tribble since the 1960s. Um, and you get through TNG and everyone's like, oh yeah, the first two seasons are crap. And like, oh man, it's, it's always dumb when Q shows up, but in a fun way. And then... Um, there's also bits where it's like, oh, there's executive meddling at play. Like I was watching mm -hmm. through Voyager and uh, oh, I saw, it. yeah, in in pieces, I think I saw most of it because I had it running just like yeah. Pluto like looped it a few times and I was mm -hmm. getting, some of them they aired out of order. I think there was one day where it was just like the all Seven of Nine show and it was just all the really like impactful emotional episodes for Seven of Nine with nothing mm -hmm. else in between. And I was like, this is probably the ideal way to yeah. experience this anyway. Voyager is one of the few Star Treks that I would actually suggest watching in order if the Voyager basically the ship is stranded millions of light years from the closest like Starfleet point They're of all civilization. The way out in the Delta Quadrant, which yeah, is bad because everything in take known them space is the Alpha Quadrant. Thousands of years to get home, you know. They're like, how do we do this? And I think that there is something to that about watching it in order because like the first two episodes they get lost in space, great. Yes. And then everything after that is them making repeated desperate attempts to get home faster, and mm -hmm. it is kind of fun to. Maybe not fun, but like, I feel like it, you lose a little bit of the impact out of order on that one just because it is like, you haven't seen how many, just how many times they failed and just how much they've tried to when they yeah. get to the final point. Uh, not like a deal breaker for the show in any way, but it's one of the yeah. few checks where I'm like, I think there's a justification in Voyager for watching it in order. But like yeah. TNG, I'll just like, I'll just like literally like hit like a shuffle, be like, what's the first one? It was popping up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the thing about Voyager is that, like, that is true. And the fact that it mm -hmm. is very much a linear progression and the number of times where it's like, oh, cool, this might get us home immediately. And it's like, in season four, not likely. Um, <laughs> but, like, there's there's still, there's it's still, still a bunch of dumb shit. Still like, the first episode is like, we've encountered an alien whose true form is beyond our comprehension, but it's showing us, uh, like, a middle America, southern uh, house party with lemonade and cornbread and guys with pitchforks and and uh, the plot of that episode is this alien is doing some very unsavory things to people to try and reproduce with them mm -hmm. and then so like the thing is if you overthink Star Trek it just immediately becomes horrifying yeah. like the, the first time I ever watched any Star Trek it was like a TOS episode and I think it was episode two or something where they fly through a space cloud and somebody on the ship gets psychic powers and he's like a oh, god am I pray to me Jim and like 
I thought that episode was the scariest thing I've ever seen because he uses his telekinesis to like strangle a guy with a cable in an otherwise empty room. And I was like, oh my God. Um, and Trek just <laughs> continually sets that theme. It'll just be like, if you're kind of acclimated to it, it's like, this is fine. And then if you like switch off your brain a second and like reset, you're like, this is the most horrifying concept I've ever heard. And we're just dealing with this. This is just the kind of shit they can run into in, disp- in, in space. Um, yeah. You know, you get your balance of horrors beyond imagination and finding Amelia Earhart in the Delta Quadrant. They did find Amelia Earhart in space. I love that episode. I know it is the silliest thing in the world, but I think it is so incredibly funny that, like, well, we have a female spaceship captain. You know who she would be really fun to run into? Amelia Earhart. Amelia Earhart. That would be fun. And, like, the thing is, then I'm like, I wonder why they did this, and I look it up, and it's like, executive meddling, and one guy on the production team was fully racist, and I'm like, god damn it! (laughs) So, like, on the one hand, it's kind of fun that Harry Kim is the universe's punching bag, but on the other hand, it's not fun that he's the director's punching bag mm-hmm. like like that kind of thing and that's the sort of thing that's harder to spot if you're just sort of randomly tuning in and they'll be like ah oh, when we were dealing with the yadadadas like last week some bad shit happened and now we have to compensate by finding more tetralithium and i'm like cool i'm up to speed but if i actually watch that episode i'm like this isn't as exciting as the story i inferred from oh they dealt with the yadadadas and then ran out of tetralithium i bet that was pretty cool um <laughs> So again, like kind of jumping around, I find is is good for me because my brain will fill in the gaps with like, oh, that sounds like it was cool, and I don't need to have seen it to know what's going on. Um, but to answer the second half of this question, uh, I've started watching DS9, which I have been assured is the good one because <laughs> I was like, Voyager is better than T uh, than TNG for me. I'm having a lot more fun with this because the characters feel like human beings instead of cogs in a problem solving machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you were like, Voyager's fun. Voyager's for the girls and the gays, but DS9 is good actually ds9 like, is like well we want to do politics now so we'll have them have one location they stay in all the time except for when yep. they go on their little field trips little and field uh trips. <laughs> we can deal with a lot of like bigger geopolitical issues and i'm like it's not my personal favorite of the shows but i can respect that it probably has a slightly higher quality of writing than like the general issues that tng and voyager run into yeah the like, fact that they don't need to come up with a new weird alien of the week it can just be like them yeah. Cardassians are at it again. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, Baylor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first episode of DS9 I caught randomly when it was just on Pluto TV uh, was, I don't remember the exact name, because again, this was the first episode I'd ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. But their local Cardassian, definitely not a spy, just a normal tailor. He's Garrick. fine. Yeah. Totally just a normal guy. <laughs> Garrick, he was going through some kind of like withdrawal and the doctor uh who i learned was dr bashir and uh, at the time was just (laughs) internally referring to as dr twink uh he Mm. absolutely refused to leave garrick to his misery and i was like this is really gay and i was talking to my dad about this because of course my dad is a big star trek fan and i was like Mm. yeah we caught an episode of ds9 it was this really like gay and he was like oh the doctor and garrick yeah and i was like oh okay that's a good sign (laughs) um yeah he immediately uh, clocked the relationship if not the specific episode One of my favorite all-time Trek dynamics, Garrick and Bashir. Also, just like shout out to all of the doctors in Star Trek because they are always like, if not my favorite, in the running for the top three of any given series they're in. Like Bones, love them. Bashir, love them. Hologram Doctor, excellent. Yep, emergency medical hologram. <laughs> it's so fun. They brought that actor in for an episode of DS9 I caught. Uh, yeah. He, just the real guy showed up, and I was like, oh, shit, that's a thing they could just do. That's fun. DS9 um, and Voyager love having people show up from the... Because there's that... It was DS9... Voyager and TNG were all kind of coming out like it one after the other or yeah. around the same time. So there I think was a T- easy TNG pool. was early, and then yeah. 
because I know there's a bit in the first episode of DS9, which I haven't caught, when Picard meets Captain Sisko mm-hmm. and is like, oh, you're a little familiar. We met. And Sisko's like, yeah, when you were a Borg and <laughs> killed my fucking wife. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, like there's, there's a lot more overlap in, in DS9 and Voyager with, like, people who, actors who were on other shows will just show up and play themselves. Like, mm-hmm. uh, um, Riker shows up, or Riker's evil twin, which is, you know, Star oh, Trek yeah, is silly yeah, sometimes. Clone, uh, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, yeah the transporter like, clone of Riker, we've all seen him. <laughs> yeah, 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 we all know. Or, like, you know, O'Brien becomes, like, a main, he becomes bridge crew. Yeah, O'Brien's, like, everywhere. He's, like, big and important, which is Most fun. important character in Star Trek. <laughs> also, uh, when you were like, oh, yeah, they don't do Worf dirty in DS9, I was like, I don't see how that's possible. But no, I get it, I get it. Because yeah. uh, I caught an episode where... Um, uh, Garrick and like one other guy were like, "Oh no, we've been captured by the Dominion," as featuring. Um, oh my gosh, I wish I could remember his name. It's this mm. one actor. He's been in everything. He voiced the question in Justice League, so uh, I just recognize him <laughs> in everything that way. Um, and uh, when they get there, they're like, "Oh shit, what the hell is Doctor Bashir doing here? You're telling me he was replaced with a changeling back on DS9, and we had no idea, and now we get to work together to like break out of this place with Doctor Bashir? Oh yeah, Worf Ooh. is also there, obviously. Yeah. And like the whole time they're doing their fun escape plan, Worf is just like in constant gladiatorial combat and just <laughs> kicking everybody's ass. And I was like, they're letting Worf win fights." And like in the end, he doesn't like he doesn't even lose. The guy's like, "Oh, I cannot defeat him. All I can do is kill him." And I was like, "Damn, have you ever code of honored so hard that you taught honor to the like the theoretically mm-hmm. willless slave race? That's awesome." So finally, my boy was done undirty yeah. by a Star Trek franchise. I'm excited for you to branch out into these treks. I feel like this is the like that's the era of Trek that I I imagine you will probably like the most. But there probably. is some value to the other ones just to take a peek occasionally. But uh, yeah, <laughs> every time I like go back to TOS, it's so funny because it's not good. It's, it's very silly. Good. It's a very silly show. <laughs> yeah, the only good part of that show is Leonard Nimoy and sometimes Bones, uh, I and love then Bones. Kirk's just there <laughs> trying Such his an best. Asshole. I like Bones too. He's a huge dick, but like it's just it's, it's, all the doctors are fun. Everyone, because the thing is, the doctors have to deal with everyone else being stupid. Because mm-hmm. like in, in any given Star Trek show, everyone else is running around doing space stuff, depending on what the budget can handle that week. And the doctor is the one who has to be like, "You're so stupid. Why would you do this stupid fucking space stuff? Damn it, Jim. Space is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Jim." Um, um, but yeah, to answer the question, it sounds like you you've been bopping around TNG, and now you're sort of mm-hmm. bopping around DS9. And now I'm bopping Voyager. around DS9, and I like it that way because that means. Uh, it, they just looped over. They were in season seven, uh, which didn't have my girl Jadzia Dax, my, mm. uh, my old man girl Jadzia Dax. Um, Love her. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not going to like this season as much. And I just waited for it to loop back to season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what I like. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> yeah. Um, but we've got more questions to get to. Uh, we do have more questions. In we fact, do? Ah. some of them uh, you asked me to get for you because ah, yeah. it's more fun that way. I don't like to ask questions directed only to me, to myself, so I just give whoever is on a list whenever the other host is not available. Yeah, what's that idea? Oh, let me tell you about podcasting. Uh, so there were a couple questions from Maltese Geek and oh. True Beast Killer that were basically the same question, phrased a little bit differently. So I will read both questions to you, and you can answer whichever cool. combination of characteristics of these questions you would like. Um Maltese Geek asked, Two Indigo, a family member of mine wants to make a podcast to discuss things. Do you have any advice I can pass along to him? And True Beast Killer asked, Two Indigo, what is your advice for someone who wants to start a podcast of their own with some friends? I have had an idea for one on the back burner for some time and I wanted to get to it, but I'm not sure of how to go about making it work, particularly remotely. Hope you are all having a great week. 
Yeah. Thank great questions. I love talking about podcasting on podcasts. It's my life's mission. Um, yeah, you know, dog, I heard you like podcasts. <laughs> so I heard you God, like what is it, 2010? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think my advice kind of boils down to one point, And this is something that I think about a lot when I ever I'm pitching a new show or helping someone develop their show is like podcasts is this big, expansive space where like the top 10% of all podcasts get like a thousand downloads an episode, which is not really that many when you think about like the shows mm -hmm. that are in that 10%. It's like ranging from like, you know, your celebrity talkback shows that are getting thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads to like someone's podcast that they've just been doing for a really long time and it's just really successful. So I don't recommend that you really worry about listenership even a little bit because what's most important is that you want to keep making the podcast and that you have something to talk about. So when I'm developing a show, I try to either pick a topic that has not been explored as much. Um, a great example of this, there's, there's a podcast that talks only about shipwrecks and it's kind of the only one that does that because that was just a niche area for them to explore, right? Great. That topic is going to attract a certain audience just based on being a unique topic. But for podcasts like Moviestruck, which is another show that I host and produce. Um, there's a lot of movie podcasts. One <laughs> might say there's too many. That's not true. There's never enough. But uh, because the space has already been explored so deeply, uh, it can be hard to make your show stand out. So if you are going to talk about something that is more commonly explored, it helps to have some sort of gimmick or structure that makes your show unique. So in Moviestruck's case, yeah, we're talking about movies. A lot of shows talk about movies, but what makes the show unique is that the movie is always the choice of the guest. And so it puts the focus off of what's a bad movie that people like to talk about and onto what's a movie that you, interesting person, want to talk about. And then we will be interested in movie and also person. Um, yeah. So basically like when you're thinking about your show, when you're thinking about your idea, before you worry about anything like equipment or listenership or hosting or whatever, when you're thinking about, is there anything that I actually want to talk about, you know, once a week, once every other week, once a month, however many times you do the show, is this a topic that is unique and will fill its own niche and just create a new topic area? Or do I have an interesting spin on it that I think is a reason for me to be talking about this thing frequently? And you don't, you know, this is my advice. If you want to make another bad movie podcast, go nuts. It's fun. I love making podcasts. I encourage everyone to do it because there's such a low barrier to entry. But yeah. if you are, you know, producer minded and you're like, I really want to make sure that my podcast is unique and can succeed. I highly recommend thinking about it in terms of what makes that show unique. And this is kind of the dichotomy that I've observed in my time. Um, yeah. You know, find what I works would, for you. <laughs> I would say that um, it is probably a good idea to consider... Um, how long you want the podcast to run for mm -hmm. and with that in mind the longevity of the idea that you have um yes. because for instance we were just talking about rolling with difficulty each season is functionally self-contained there's obviously if we cut off after season two there would be a lot of things <laughs> that were left unfinished but you know if you want to end there you can whereas movie struck could potentially run indefinitely the ozpod mm -hmm. could potentially run indefinitely um and it's uh those are structured that way where it's like you know it, each episode is functionally about a different thing. Obviously, in our case, it's about, hey, the last two videos and whatever questions we want to answer, just freeform discussion. Um, but since we are putting out, you know, two videos every two weeks, there's always new stuff to discuss. Um, but for instance, there are a lot of podcasts that are like, hey, we're going through this show and we're watching mm -hmm. one episode per week and we're talking about that. Um, which is cool. Uh, yeah. And that means basically you have new content for as long as that show exists 
and is still good, which is not all like there were like a ton of there were a ton of YouTube channels that do this too. Um, like the things that were like watching a bunch of CW shows episode by episode as they went on, and then we're like, ah, uh, we don't really want to do this anymore. <laughs> it got bad. If you're going to do a podcast about a show make sure it's either a show that's finished and even if it gets bad you like it enough to keep watching or that like mm -hmm. you care enough about the project to keep watching or like maybe just wait till the whole show has come out yeah it's it's a dangerous thing to hit your wagon to as it were um mm -hmm. that said and... though there are a lot of shows that like there's a podcast i like called kill james bond where they started by watching all of the james bond movies and kind of doing a feminist perspective on them and then they ran out of james bond movies and they were able to pivot to just doing like kind of other traditionally macho movies and viewing them through that same lens and that wasn't that worked for them like that was a good yeah. switch for them and there's definitely ways you can do that like uh, another podcast I like Ranger Danger they watch every Power Rangers episode and at first they're yeah. just doing Mighty Morphin and now they're on Dino Thunder so like sometimes there is flexibility within that but it is something to think about when you're coming up with your topic of like Red was yeah. saying like, is this something yeah. that you want to hit your wagon to and can you actually discuss it and how long do you want this show in whatever mm -hmm. form it is to exist and how long do you want to be making it <laughs> yeah that's another thing um obviously with any sort of long-running project a big consideration is like how how much of this do you have in you at any mm -hmm. given pace? So you, like, you want to set a pace that you can maintain for as long as you need it. So, like, again, once a week is f great. Once every two weeks, bi-weekly, not the other mm -hmm. bi-weekly, is probably better. Uh, it gives you, you know, a week off, more time. But, again, everyone works at a different pace. You yeah. could do, like, a monthly podcast. That's another thing that people totally do. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's... I don't know, podcasting is a space that I'm a little bit new dealing with because before uh, we've been on the record, like before you were like, hey, we should do the OzPod. We were kind of like, making a podcast. What are we? A group of <laughs> three to five white boys ages 18 to 30? <laughs> yeah. There was like a little bit of like a podcasting bubble in like 2020 or so. Where everyone's like, well, we're all mm. stuck around. So let's go make some podcasts. Uh, and there's never a been big easier to get like decent microphones. So yeah. Uh, but there was also a big boot in like corporate podcasts. And I yeah. think recently there's been a bit of a turn away from that. Like Spotify had a big collapse in their podcast department and right. similar issues. But like generally the industry is still alive and well. And if you want to make a show, it's a very accessible medium to get into because all you really need is decent quality audio. You don't need the top of the line stuff. You can record in a closet and get great sounding audio. I did that all through film school. Um, and, uh, you know, a podcast that you want to make, whether that's alone, whether that's with friends, whether that's you know, booking guests. Um, and with those tools, you can put a show out. Uh, you know, it always helps to think of it, think it through beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is I, I do kind of like to give the advice of like, just make an episode, even if you don't publish it, yeah. just go through the motions of making an episode. See if this is something that you want to do. And if the yeah. format you've come up with is something that you're still going to be interested in, you know, five, 10, 50 episodes from now. I mean, that's the number one way of telling, like, how taxing the process is and how much you think you could do it without losing steam. Mm -hmm. um, you know, go through it once, let yourself be slow and uh, unpracticed at it, get a feel for it. And if it turns out to not be your thing, that's fine. You can just do other stuff. Um, you can also <laughs> put it down for a while and then come back to it later yeah. if you end up with a better, more modular idea that can work better episodically. Because I think, like, podcasts have one unique difficulty compared to like the video essay space where it's like you can you can have like one good idea and be like oh i'll make a video essay about that and then mm -hmm. crank that sucker out put it up there and people will probably still be watching it years down the line because it's oh it's a fun video essay about this thing i'll just check that out um and uh 
this podcast you can't have an idea for one episode and then be like, all right, I I assume I can figure out something mm-hmm. once every two weeks for the rest of however long yeah. this runs. That's why the advice is pick a, like, a topic or a format mm-hmm. that you think is really interesting. Don't just say to yourself, like, well, I think this one episode topic would be good because you do like the thing with podcasts is discoverability is almost entirely based on amount of episodes and amount of listeners and the more episodes you have the more listeners you'll get because people will listen to your backlog so Mm -hmm. um rather than like red saying don't worry about the individual episodes unlike how youtube production can tend to work you really do have to have the whole show kind of conceptualized um so having like a core gimmick of like we're going to be talking about Movies, guest picks the movie. Perfect. Yeah. Um, we're going to be playing a D&D campaign, and we'll just run the podcast until we're done with the D&D campaign, mm-hmm. and then we'll reassess, maybe do another Doing one. Doing um, after show and fan Q&A for a YouTube channel that puts out two videos every two weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So essentially, or, or like I'm reading through a book series. Every mm-hmm. few chapters, I put out a new episode. I was a guest on the uh, the podcast, The Newest Olympian, a couple times, hmm. reading through all the Percy Jackson books for the first time, having a great time. Just has all the different guests to like talk about the different chunks of the book and the myths involved and where it's going. Really good format. There's yeah. tons of those books. There's a ton more Rick Riordan books now, so that that could just continue as long as they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, for for like a video essay, you need one good idea. For a podcast, you need one good concept that can turn into a bunch of ideas basically right. um and hitching it to something that's serialized is not the worst idea in the world um mm-hmm. but yeah i yeah. It boils down to the advice is really think about your topic before you commit to making a show just like think about it think about its longevity think about how it might stand out in the space and how you'll feel about having to do it over and over again yes um, that's kind of the tldr of the advice yeah yeah yeah, but we have more questions. Um, this one comes from Brainship to Red and Indigo. Have you ever woken up and suddenly realized that a character backstory you heard, saw, or read years ago was a lot more sad, scary, or exciting than you initially gave it credit for? For example, only recently did I realize how truly awful backstory from Batman the Animated Series was. So any, huh. have you ever had that uh, moment of fridge horror? I, I love the BDG video about the punji pit and Tony yeah. Hawk. Uh, hey, that, wait a second. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The idea of like years later being like, or you know, days, weeks, years later being like, wait a minute. Yeah, I feel like not really because I love overthinking these things in the moment. Uh, and mm-hmm. especially when I was like little, I would just love it when characters had the most like tragically horrifying backstories ever. Um, or be like, oh my God. Or I mean, again, I'll fucking go to bat for reboot every day of my life. And it's like, oh, our kid hero who we spent the first two and a chunk seasons getting attached to uh, has now been trapped in a time dilated uh, system of basically constant battles and is now a grown ass man with big old PTSD. And I was like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> that, that character was my very first like, oh, I like this guy way too much. And I, I might start modeling my clothing off of him a little bit. Just don't think about it too hard. And I, I fucking six-year-old me loved how fucked up that was. Um, and I, I think, like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, it didn't have to be all bad, you know. <laughs> maybe maybe some things were nice, actually. Yeah, I don't think I ever had, like, I don't, I, I, similarly, like, I tend to just see things in the moment and be like, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but I, my f- absolute favorite show as a child was the last show that played on the Four Kids Saturday Morning Block, The Winx Club. Winx in Club. The, I, I adored it. I wanted to be that little magical fairy girl. Uh, but they're in season three to get their power up. They all basically have to die or like be blinded. And like as a child, I was like, oh, no, stakes. And as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think sometimes, like, when you're a kid and you're watching shows about kids, you're like, wow, that's scary, but, like, I'm tough. Yeah. I wouldn't mind going through that. And when, it, when you're an adult and you're seeing horrible things happen to fictional kids, you're like, oh, no, I want to protect them. One of um, them is, like, blinded by the villain of the uh, season and then, like, gives up her opportunity to restore her sight to save the life of one of the denizens of her her realm. And I'm like, Yo, what the as fuck? a kid, I was like, oh, she's still, <laughs> she, she didn't get her magic healing, but then she got her power up, so she was fine. And as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God. God, that's so like noble and like, yeah. What what a what a ro- regal moment for this character. I think like but, when know, I was pretty little. Show. Yeah, um, when I was quite little, I, I had some exposure to like old Astro Boy volumes and stuff like that, and those are so funny because the art style is so cutesy, like early Disney based. But then like it's all so fucking sad. It's all horribly depressing. Uh, it'll be like. robots are being shuffled into concentration camps because humans hate and fear what they don't understand and our adorable little Mickey Mouse humanoid robot boy was created to replace a dead kid whose dad built a robot duplicate and then foolishly realized, oh no, my robot son will never grow. I'm going to sell him to the circus where he will be tortured until he performs. And then just fucking, and I was like, wow, that's crazy. I wish I had machine wow. gun butt. And then, like, as an adult, I'm like, that's still pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think I really get the, oh, that's so much more fucked up than I realized because mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person who, like, rotates things around in my head too much. And I'm like, oh, that's fucked up. That's, that's, yeah. I like it. This is cool. Yeah, I either don't think about it enough afterwards to, like, pop back into my head or, like, now I'm an adult just notice it in the moment. So I feel like I don't get too much of the fridge horror effect or at least not specific enough that I could conjure an example right now. Really great BDG video with a punchy pit one. <laughs> I really can't recommend it enough. <laughs> it's so fun. Um, um, I had a question that's kind of related uh, yeah. on theme. Uh, from Space Wizard to Indigo, I've been listening to Movie Struck, and you mentioned yeah. that you have been watching all the Oscar winners. Which movie has aged the best, and which has aged the worst? Ooh, all of the ones made before 1950 aged terribly, and all the ones after. No, I'm joking. There's a couple in there that I really love. Um, one that I think is remark like, I cannot overstate enough how cool Wings, the first ever Oscar winner, is. Like, hmm. it's aged remarkably well. Uh, you know, it's still a mostly white cast, and like. Hmm. It's the female characters have their romantic subplots, but one of them just goes to war and like finds herself in a way. It's it's crazy, but like, okay. uh, you know, there's a lot to it to really like, and the filmmaking techniques, the story, and the just like construction of that movie are so incredible that even though it is from 19 like 28, it holds up really well. Uh, and then immediately after it are like two or three movies in a row that are just aged like dirt <laughs> um Sumerian's probably the one I like the least it is about like the founding of Oklahoma and it's somehow it's, like I'm sorry it's called Sumerians Sumerian I think I might be saying that wrong but like uh it's this the like male guy who like founded a town he like became like mayor of a town and he like kind of went on to found Oklahoma and it's sort of like a biopic about him but he's like huh. oh I am very respectful to Native Americans I'm like I don't actually know if the way you're treating them in this movie is all that respectful of them. Oh, <laughs> it is uh and I don't know if this is a very accurate portrayal and then his wife is fascinating his like wife and daughter have like 
crazy internal lives and it is just not even touched on even a little bit so that this very boring man can go about doing very normal legislative things so that one's probably my least favorite um there's a couple others that haven't aged great gone with the wind is incredibly problematic and i don't care (laughs) if it's considered a classic uh it's horribly racist and there's no reason to be glorifying the old south even if the dresses were pretty um you can just like the dresses, guys. You can just like the dresses. We don't have to, you know, glorify this movie and what it represents. Um, I do, like, there's other movies that I think aged amazing. Hal Green Was My Valley is one of my all-time favorites. About It's a Welsh coal mining drama that follows this one Welsh family. Uh, incredibly heartfelt, moving. There's, like, a union drama. There's, like, a Ooh, romance between, like, the daughter of the family and the preacher. It's on, like, a love triangle with, like, them and the rich man she marries to, like, bring prosperity. It's... Shout out Walter Pigeon. He fucking killed that role as pop <laughs> preacher. But uh, yeah, it's Walter Pigeon. His name is Walter Pigeon. He's a stage actor. He's in two Best Picture winners. He was in Miss Miniver and Hell Green Was My Valley. Hold um, on, I gotta look this guy up. He, uh, he looks like a very normal, very normal man. <laughs> but oh, yeah. Uh, there yeah, he is. Uh, Hal Green no, was yeah, my valley. I see what you mean. I think I feel like he would have showed up in like Columbo, forty years older. Yeah, uh, he's got sort yeah. of like a he's not like a smolder hog. I mean, he's like a he's, he just looks like a good man. But yeah. uh, combs his hair well, basically. Exactly. Um, but Hal Green was my valley, just absolutely incredible movie. Uh, a bright spot in a slew of movies that I thought were just very fine. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, he wasn't on Columbo. Yeah, it's a shame. There's a, the thing with the Best Picture winners is you get this interesting kind of like ebb and flow that I noticed. I kind of petered out around the 1970s. I'm trying to pick it back up whenever I, I get free time, but we'll see when that is. Uh, hmm. But, you know, you've got war dramas, and then you'll get no war dramas, and then World War One will happen, and you'll get a bunch of war dramas, and then you'll get the lull in between of like, oh my god, war happened. Wait, war's happening again. World War Two, more war dramas, and then it lulls again after that. And then you get a lot of like the post-war dramas, and they're all very like... You get the occasional comedy and you get a lot of the ramifications of our actions and exploration of societal ills. And some movies have a weird balance where they are, you know, exploring a very interesting topic, but maybe haven't necessarily like aged amazing because we have since continued to explore said topic and we have the words to like handle it better now or we have a better understanding of like what these communities were going through and how to portray Mm -hmm. that on screen. Um, So there's not too many that I would say are like awful. but definitely the first, like, 15 years, it's very hit or miss. Uh, some of them are yeah. just boring. Some of them have some very problematic themes, emblematic of that period in American history uh, or British history. Um, some of them have aged poorly for very hilarious reasons. I do have one Ooh. final one I want to shout out, which is uh, Cavalcade. Uh, this movie I thought was very boring. It's a neat, like, I see why it won Best Picture. It has a neat kind of framework. It's going through just, like, the 20th century through the first however many years. Um like first 20 years or so, I guess. And as part of that, it's like following this British family and the son gets married and him and his wife go on their honeymoon on an unnamed large steamship across the Atlantic Ocean. And they're having a very serious conversation about how like tonight is perfect. And even if they don't have a perfect life together, they love each other right now and they'll love each other tomorrow and they'll see where life takes them. And then they exit the static shot and the camera remains where it was. And it pans down ever so slowly to reveal on the life preserver, the big words, Titanic. And then it hard cuts to the funeral and it's not supposed to be funny, but it is one of the funniest camera choices that has ever been made. And it is only because it has been, you know, 
60 something years, <laughs> 100 something years since then. I'm like, oh my God, this must have been like horrifying and tragic to watch in theaters at the time. But now it is, I was crying laughing at that camera. I mean, wasn't there some like rom-com where the twist at the end was like, and they worked in the World Trade Center, <laughs> whoopsies. I feel like I saw people clowning on that like the, the week it came out. Yeah, I think it was maybe handled a little better than that, but even so, cause like the whole movie had basically been like, this family is going to experience every single like tragic event of the first 20 years of the, you know, 1920s. So Great. buckle up, I guess. Um, Putting that in a montage is the funniest way they could have possibly handled it. It's so incredible. I like, again, it just, it's aged incredibly poorly, but kind of in a weirdly good way. The rest of the movie is pretty boring. I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching it, but if you were to search cavalcade Titanic scene, the last <laughs> like 30 seconds or so of my watch. I'm just I'm sorry I'm reminded of how in the Super Mario Brothers movie there's that bit where like the dimensions are merging and it shows that shot of like New York City skyline and the World Trade Center's fucking disintegrate and yeah. I was like oh no <laughs> oh, no but God. the best picture thing I, I really liked doing that because I mean I'm a huge film history nerd so right. like for me it was just fun to see how the the different cultural consciousness at different times like resulted in different kinds of movies kind of dominating for a few periods of years. And you really do get to see like the box office grow and change over time. And I think it's a mm. really interesting kind of like snapshot of where society was at in any given like five year period. And then also you get to watch a bunch of movies, which is super fun. Some of them might yeah. be really boring, but a lot of them are pretty good. They did win best picture for a reason most of the time, even if that reason is now, well, they're horribly racist, but it was a big epic <laughs> drama. So everyone liked the pretty dresses like, you know, yeah. I guess societal blind spots are a hell of a thing and yep. you can have a movie where it's like at the time a lot of people watching this wouldn't have even noticed anything was weird but mm -hmm. now it fucking sticks out like a sore thumb and you can't look past it yep uh, but to move on to some some other questions, see if we can't fit a couple more in here in the last couple yeah, minutes of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> this question comes from, did somebody say impulsive to Red and Indigo, is it alright if I use rolling with difficulty content for inspiration in my home D&D games? Yes. Yeah, go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the D and D historically has only ever had bad things happen when it tries to get legally clean yeah. about like specific things that you're not allowed to mm -hmm. use unless you ask. Uh, and it's kind of like I'll occasionally get people like messaging me on on Tumblr that are like, "Hey, I have this like elemental system in my world that's kind of like based on your thing. Can is that okay?" And it's like I cannot possibly own the rights to a six element system and i would be <laughs> foolish to try to claim so yeah as long as you're not doing an, another actual play podcast and your cast is just our exact cast and you just hit play virla danny kiana finbar you're okay <laughs> you know that would be such a weirdly <laughs> intricate form of piracy <laughs> yeah like as long as you're not doing the world's most convoluted act of piracy if it's a home game go use whatever you want i don't care you want to play danny go nuts uh but like, be such a fucking <laughs> funny concept though like because we because you know we say on the astral sea if we ran into a crew of pirates they're just like knockoff <laughs> versions of us <laughs> intellectual property Ooh. pirates oh no i hope Wait, austin this like listens to this episode <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no you're absolutely we're not gonna limit anyone from using our stuff as inspiration go crazy have fun yeah play D, &D. It's, a, it's a good time or any other ttrpg yeah. go nuts <laughs> Um, I could sneak in a similar question, uh, no. from Spill the Tea to Indigo in episode 47 of the podcast, you mentioned that you have an unpublished comic that you occasionally work on. What is it about? 
I just thought uh, it was funny. Sometimes you put me on the spot asking Aurora <laughs> questions here. So I was like, hey, what's a good opportunity for revenge? Yeah, cool. I've, uh, I So for context, I work on the comic as like a way to avoid art block because it's just mm-hmm. like a little thing I do in my free time when I'm like, I have no ideas of what I want to draw, but I know that I storyboarded out a bunch of pages. So why don't I go sketch those? Or I sketch them. Now I can go do line art and do flats. And I just work on it incredibly piecemeal as like a thing to do to keep flexing the art muscles, even when I'm not uh, feeling particularly inspired. And that's what yeah. it's for. Um, as for story, as like a weird, it's it's heavily inspired by the worlds of like Stormhawks and the Wings Club, where it's like high yes. fantasy, but a little bit techy. And there's a bunch of deserts for some reason. And people <laughs> oh, we love ships. deserts. So um, easy to animate. Yeah bunch of rebels taken down a existing regime by finding a magical artifact is the TLDR. I, it, it's a thing I do for fun. I don't really have a great like plot summary of it available. It's never going to be published anywhere. I, I just, I mean, it's the equivalent of a know. sketchbook, but for the very specific field yeah. of making comics. I mean, sometimes I'll just like draw comic versions of like things I've read in a book recently or like shows from a TV show that mm. are like sticking in my head. And I'm like, nobody will ever see these, but I'm having such a fucking good time. Yeah, I them. like having the structure of it to work on because it lets me practice like writing skills which will then translate to when I'm doing copywriting and stuff you know I might mm-hmm. not be writing dialogue on the daily but I have to write a lot of ad reads and so having the flex of like reminding myself not to make every character say dude translates really well to this copy needs to read well in a professional setting um similarly like I like to draw it's a hobby that I do that is not uh my actual job which is something I very have come to really value and yeah. the comic lets me work on that any day even if I'm feeling completely burnt out from just like a full day of like editing and emailing and whatnot i'm like okay i don't have to think i can just line art you know i don't have to think i can just like do the little sketch versions because i usually do um i'll do a little like full page canvas of just little tiny thumbnails of every single page in a, in yeah. a given chapter That's right in like temp dialogue <laughs> the fact then that i, I don't do it. that is bad but you, <laughs> you also publish the comic at a rapid pace i well have over the last year maybe written three chapters like maybe written 90 pages total <laughs> and they're not done any of them so like you know different different pipelines for different purposes yeah um you know sketch the comic line art the comic color the comic often i will just be doing all three of these things on any even page because again i don't publish this i just do it as a thing to work on and I'm like well i don't want to draw that guy's face right now so i'm not gonna do it right now. <laughs> um but yeah it's, i like gym i like having a project and this gives me a project i don't have to worry about so much which is i think why i like working on it yeah yeah um we're coming up on time though for the podcast so unless oh. there's a quick one i think we are about to be taken out oh <laughs> Well, there's a pretty quick one that mm-hmm. I listed as an apology for that last question. <laughs> From Else Caller to Indigo, how does it feel that the best-selling author Brandon Sanderson has said on his podcast that Speed Racer is his, Brandon Sanderson's number one most awesome movie of all time? I feel vindicated constantly and by everyone around. It's Everyone I've shown that movie to except for Red has also <laughs> loved Speed Racer. So I feel like, you know, I just, it's just, a, it should be a universal truth acknowledged. Um, Sorry I was lucky. For being just a little hater. <laughs> I was lucky enough to, uh, the Philly Film Society did a screening of Speed Racer as part of their like uh, 100 years of movies or whatever. The series are like 100 years on screen. I don't know exactly what the series was called. But my boyfriend's like, oh my God, you'll never guess what they're playing at the, at the Force <laughs> Theater tonight. I'm like, what? He's like, Speed Racer. I'm like, okay, we're going. I know what we're doing. I know what we're doing tonight. Uh, <laughs> I went, it was a theater 
theater full of dads and their children and 20 to 30 somethings. And that was the most fun I have ever had at a screening. Everyone in that theater was having a blast. They were cheering when Speed would do cool car tricks. When Racer X punched a guy, everyone went, woo! The kid behind <laughs> me was like, oh, dad, that's so cool. I'm like, yes! <laughs> Just the, it was like the most pure energy of like, wow, cars do go fast and speed do win races. <laughs> and everyone just had an amazing night at the movies. And it's a very visual movie. So seeing it on the, blue, the big screen also was very cool. Um, so yeah, I, I love Speed Racer. Brandon Sanderson has the correct opinion. <laughs> and I feel even more validated than I did previously. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I feel like this is this is one of those cases where it's like, Everything it's doing, I can tell it's doing on purpose. And the fact that mm -hmm. it's not working for me doesn't mean this is poor execution. It just means uh, I don't like the decisions they're making with this movie, and that's fine. With, that's obviously, fine. the exception of the fight with the ninjas, obviously. I love Obviously that incredible I work. Really I mean, yeah. the casting alone in that movie, like, that should have netted them all of the clout in the world. Like, yeah, <laughs> the minute wow. you had John Goodman playing Pops Racer, Pops you Racer. had already yeah, that was completed good. the objective. And then you put I Susan think... Sarandon in too? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I think the only part of that movie that I thought was just unironically oh, fantastic was like more like a nonja. Which is like, yeah, yeah, he yeah, really If you is meet a that movie on the level at which it exists, you're going to have a good time. <laughs> if you go to it expecting like deep moving plot lines like epic fantasy or like anything it's not going to be winning it but it is still the best anime at live action adaptation ever made so that it that bothers is me more that it looks like an episode of lazy town and for the record <laughs> there are three excellent live action maroni kenshin movies that have become harder to recommend due to certain things that came out about the guy who wrote those manga. further vindicating the wachowski hit 2008 speed racer oh <laughs> Uh, but we are, before we irritate Red to untenable levels, I believe we do have to take the show out, which means, Red, are you ready to be irritated to untenable levels? And please do the outro. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back in uh, two weeks with another episode of the OzPod. I think we should have Blue back at that point. We so, should. Uh, Unless we will not be consigned. Wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we shouldn't be consigned to the girls' night dimension any girls longer, night. which will be fun. We do love a girls' night. Um, uh, it's... Uh, rolling with difficulties uh, every Friday for the foreseeable future until this season ends, which will be Woo. later. Not until um, September, so plenty yes. of time. <laughs> I don't think we have anything else to talk. Oh, if you're a patron, uh, go to Patreon. Oh, We're yeah. about to shoot the shit for another 30 to 45 minutes in the After After Show show Hell yeah. available for patrons. So uh, you guys go to Patreon and everyone else, consider coming to Patreon. It's, it's great. <laughs> Uh, we got uh, fun stuff. I sometimes doodle things and also podcast. Um, oh, fuck. I think we're good, right? That's like, that's most great. Okay. Awesome. Until next it. time. <laughs> I've been red. I have not been blue. And this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on August 16th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be read on a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.